Welcome to Brad Kyle's Brad's Motor Works podcast. We'll be talking about some things about BMW, some things of cars in general, and some things about car repair. I hope you find it educational, enlightening, and I hope it increases your understanding of your car. And maybe along the way we'll have some fun too. Thank you for listening, and here we go. Episode number 110, Oxygen Sensors and Catalyst Efficiency. Ooh, doesn't that sound exciting? <laughs> um, again, this is one that's from a uh, trade magazine. Okay, it is written for technicians and or shop owners, but you know, it's it's in pretty much just uh, plain Jane uh, common language, so it's it's not that super technical. But for those of you that are interested in uh, how your oxygen sensors work, basically, and how they are involved in catalytic converter efficiency, I think this will be a good one for you. Uh, I am going to be reading from an article, and uh, we go from there with it. And again, a quick commercial. Uh, I am I have set up the podcast to where if you want to uh, donate money or pay for a subscription fee, uh, I would appreciate that. It helps support the podcast and additional training and, and keep it going. And uh, it also, for people that, who are willing to do that, uh, it allows you, it opens up some uh, podcasts I've done in the past that are, are now only available if someone is willing to subscribe. And the ones I've picked are ones that if you listen to them and apply the information I give you <clears throat> in your car ownership life, there's no doubt that, you know, over the course of your life and the cars you have, uh, I'm, I'm sure you could save thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars and, and almost as as importantly is is reduce uh stress in your life in regards to car repairs and ownership and frustration and that that kind of stuff so uh anyway so if you go to uh, podbean.com which is the main publisher of this podcast and do a search for brad kyle's motorworks podcast you'll find uh, my main homepage for the podcast here which of course also allows you to look at the 100 plus different episodes I put out and scroll through them and you can download them all or do whatever it is you want to do with it and uh, or pick them you know one by one it's up to you but in the upper right hand corner of that page you'll see a, a, a link that goes to become a patron and if you click on that you'll see where you can donate or become, uh, set up a subscription where it's I'm asking for five dollars a month it can be less than that it can be more than that whatever you feel appropriate uh, there's no contract or anything. You can either make it to where you're uh, subscribing every month automatically or uh, subscribe for a couple of months or whatever the case might be. So I uh, appreciate it if you want to set that up. And like I say, it opens up a, a world of information that will definitely help you in your car ownership life. So hopefully you take advantage of that. So uh, this is an article that was, again, it's from a technical magazine. It was in a, a magazine called Underhood Service. This is sent out to professional technicians and shop owners, so you're getting some inside information here. It was written by Andrew Markell, and again, it's called Oxygen Sensors and Catalyst Efficiency. So here we go. No matter if it is a traditional oxygen sensor or air-fuel ratio sensor, it measures the difference in oxygen levels between the outside air and the exhaust gases. By knowing the amount of oxygen in the exhaust gases, the engine management can control the amount of fuel injected into the engine for the best possible power, efficiency, and emissions. If too much oxygen is found in the exhaust system, the engine is running too lean. In other words, it's getting not enough fuel. If too little oxygen is measured in the exhaust system, the engine is running too rich. 
This is a very basic overview of oxygen sensors and fuel trims, but the takeaway is the amount of fuel burned in the cylinder will determine the amount of oxygen in the exhaust gases. This is not a perfect process. The engine management module is always hunting for the best injector opening time. The oxygen concentration is always swinging between rich and lean. The more sensitive the oxygen sensor and accurate fuel injectors are, the swings between rich and lean are smaller. Newer air-fuel ratio or wide-band sensors can detect a wide range of fuel conditions. Also, these types of sensors warm up to operating temperatures faster, which means the car is going to run more efficiently uh, quicker as it's in its warm-up cycle. So. The information from the oxygen sensor or air-fuel ratio sensor allows the engine management system to trim the fuel injector's open times. While there is the perfect lambda number of uh, 4.7, excuse me, 14.7 parts air to one part fuel for the best possible combustion, many engines will operate outside of these ranges. But at the limits of lambda, oxygen and fuel can combine with nitrogen, hydrogen, and carbon to form compounds that are not good for the environment. Oxygen sensors also monitor the operation of the catalytic converters. By controlling the fuel trim, it can control the temperature of the catalyst beds. The catalytic converter begins to function at 400 to 600 degrees Fahrenheit. The normal operating temperature can range up to 1200 to 1600 degrees, again Fahrenheit. By controlling the temperatures, it is possible to control the reactions inside the converter. The reactions inside the catalytic converter are monitored by an oxygen sensor on the outlet called a downstream sensor. The engine management module compares the two sensors to see if the levels of oxygen is reduced by the catalytic converter. The catalyst efficiency monitor verifies the catalytic converter is operating at a high enough efficiency rating to keep exhaust emissions within the predetermined values. The PCM compares the signals from the upstream and downstream oxygen sensors to, to determine the state of the converter. These tests are called the readiness monitors. What is efficiency? The converter has an efficiency rating that is computed by the vehicle's manufacturer. The efficiency of the converter is tied to the fuel trim of the engine. The fuel trim is monitored by the oxygen sensors and is constantly adjusted by the PCM. This helps to keep the converter at the correct temperature for the most efficient operation. One of the things the converter does is store a certain amount of oxygen in, in it. If an engine is running too rich, it cannot store oxygen. If it is running too lean, the oxygen levels may prevent the converter from reaching its optimum heat range. Converter efficiency can be checked with a scan tool as well as watching the O2 switching between rich and lean. Lab scopes can also be used to monitor the switching. Once the efficiency drops below a specified level and other criteria are met, an efficiency code will be set. In other words, your service engine soon light will come on. Most converters start out at about 99% efficiency when new and quickly taper off to about 95%. As long as the efficiency doesn't drop off more than a few more percentage points, the converter will do a great job of cleaning up the exhaust. But if efficiency drops below 92%, it will usually turn on the mill lamp. That means malfunction indicator light. In other words, your service engine soon lights. So. Newer vehicles have to meet an even tougher low emission vehicle requirement. 
Now there's even less room for leeway. A drop in converter efficiency of only 3% can cause emissions to exceed federal limits. The LEV standard allows only 0.225 grams per mile of hydrocarbons. Some OEMs have updated calibrations for the catalyst monitors. The new calibration can then be reflashed into the PCM. If the vehicle already has a damaged converter, the reflash will do nothing at all for it. But if the converter is near the threshold limit, the reflash may extend the life of the converter and prevent the light from coming on for another 10,000 or even up to 80,000 miles. Continuous and non-continuous readiness tests. A monitor is a section or segment of an operation that the vehicle normally performs on one that needs to be done to verify a certain aspect or condition of the vehicle. There are two basic types of readiness monitors, continuous and the non-continuous type. Continuous monitors are constantly tested and evaluated while the engine is running. The non-continuous monitors need to have certain conditions met before a test can be completed. Some operations can be either continuous, non-continuous, or both, and can be checked during both types of monitors, such as a misfire or fuel system issues. Non-continuous monitors will differ between gas and diesel engines as well. A newer vehicle can report its emission monitor status during its current driving cycle. These monitors start from the beginning, from the beginning whenever the monitoring, monitoring cycle meets the criteria to run a readiness test. Older cars might not support this feature. Because the monitors are a self-check routine that the driver does not have to initiate, the best way to get them ready to perform is a self-test is to drive the vehicle. Still, driving alone won't meet all the needed conditions. There are a few requirements that vary from manufacturer to manufacturer. A vehicle has to complete a drive cycle. The drive cycle is to let the car run on its onboard diagnostics. This allows the readiness monitors to go through their preset diagnostic routine. For the exact requirement of the vehicle you're working on, check the manufacturer specifications for a drive cycle. However, the following generic drive cycle usually works on most vehicles. And so finally it describes a generic drive cycle. Please, this is where it gets interesting. If, if you want to, uh, this is off, off article. Uh, if you want to have something to kind of laugh at, and this is sort of uh, another, <laughs> another example of our government at work, uh, look, at, look up or your Google uh, EPA car drive cycle. Okay, you'll find it and, and print it out and actually read the drive cycle because you'll, you're going to look at that and go, who would ever have a place where they could drive a car this way? Okay, so it's, it's an interesting read. Uh, it's, not, it's not real technical. It's just it's, it's barely a couple paragraphs long, but it's, it's something you can almost laugh at. So generic drive cycle. Pre-plan a route that will allow you to bring the vehicle up to highway speeds and then allow you to slow the vehicle down on a long coast. Be sure to have at least 51% in the fuel tank, in other words, 51% of fuel in the fuel tank, and the outside ambient temperature is not below freezing or above 110 degrees. Most drive cycles begin with a cold start, meaning the coolant and air temperatures are within 10 degrees of each other. This condition be achieved by letting the car to sit overnight. The ignition key must be in the off position before the cold start, otherwise the heated oxygen sensor diagnostics may not run. Start the engine and let it idle for up to two to five minutes while the AC and rear defroster on 
if equipped. So in other words, right off the bat, and this is actually the only thing you have control over, is on, on a normal, you know, drive, okay, you're going to get into your car and go somewhere, who starts it up and sits there, doesn't touch the throttle, doesn't put it in gear, doesn't go anywhere, and sits for two to five minutes? Nobody does that, okay? So right off the bat, the beginning of this drive cycle is like, yeah, okay, uh, the good news is, is that if you are actually trying to do a drive cycle, that's about the only thing you have control over is, is let, starting the car up and letting it sit and idle, and you sit there for two, three, four minutes, okay? And then you drive it, and that's where you start losing control of the drive cycle because there's this stuff called traffic out there, okay? But at the end of the drive cycle, again, you put it in park or in neutral, okay? and you don't touch the throttle you let the engine idle for another two three four minutes so the only thing you really have control over is the idling period okay because otherwise you're out in traffic so anyway keep in mind the non-continuous monitors may not catch a problem until the vehicle has been driven several times and the conditions are right to detect the fault consequently Anytime you're troubleshooting a catalyst efficiency problem, it's very important to use a scan tool that can tell you if all the monitor readiness tests have run or not. If one or more monitors are not ready, the vehicle will have to be driven under the correct conditions to make the monitor set. Then, and only then, will you get an accurate diagnosis. Okay. So basically the idea is they, they're trying to be advocates of a shop doing drive cycles after the car is completed finished okay to be able to verify that it's all the monitors have run well uh, let's face it depending upon where the shop is located and traffic and highway and you know streets and stuff uh, potentially good luck with that okay uh, I, I and the other side of it is that since you're doing two drive cycles and the beginning of each drive cycle has to be a cold engine if they just finished working on the car okay and it's unless it's like brand new in, or unless it's done first thing in the morning, if they finish it any time during the day and they do and they, you know, drive it just to make sure it appears to be OK and everything's done to actually do two more drive cycles. They have to have the car for two more days. OK. And, and do a drive cycle at the morning of each day. Okay? Who necessarily is able to leave their car that much longer? Most people, it's like, well, my car's done. Well, yeah, but we got to do two days of drive cycles. What? Okay. So uh, that's really up to the shop, obviously. Um, so, but to be 100% sure, those all those monitor tests have to run and pass. And, yes, it can take several, if not numerous, days of driving for those all to run. It depends on how you drive your car. Okay. So, uh, anyway... That's that one, you know, a little oxygen sensor, catalytic converter info. Uh, again, just some of the magic that's going on in your car as you drive it. You have no idea any of this stuff is going on, but now you have a better idea. So hopefully you found that informative. And, and uh, like I say, if you want a, a decent laugh, uh, you know, look up EPA drive cycle. And uh, it's just, like I say, a, a paragraph or two. And it's just, it's amazing, really. Um, my way of looking at it is you'd have to have a straight level road that has no traffic on it that probably is about 8 to 10 miles long, okay, if not longer, with no traffic, okay. Well, good luck on that one. Uh, L.A., you know, <laughs> Los Angeles, you're not going to find that puppy. So, anyway, 
interesting reading. So I hope you found it informative. I uh, appreciate your listening. As usual, if you ever want to get a hold of me via email, it's bkpodcast5 at gmail.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. And if you ever want to check out my shop website, it's Brad's Motor Works. I'm in Newbury Park, Southern California. And um, we'll go from there. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you listening. I hope you have a fantastic day and a great tomorrow. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode. It's been an honor and a privilege to spend time with you. I hope you found this of value. Please share it with family and friends. Above all else, with all you're getting, get understanding. May God bless you and keep you. And thank you again.